Hey, I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we're going to call a little bit of an audible and uh, jump out of Mark. Uh, today's, you know, again, we're going to take a break for the semester. we got some stuff coming up that we're planning to do kind of through the summer and to kick back off once we start the fall semester. Uh, but today I want to take a little bit of a break out of Mark and uh, give you a message that hopefully can kind of bridge the gap. I want to talk to you specifically today about temptation, about um, how to resist it, how to fight it, and uh, kind of give you a little bit of a... Uh, a battle plan for the months ahead. Um, it's summertime. Um, so with that comes all the things that come with summertime. And so I wanted to talk with you guys and walk through a little bit of that today. Um, let me pray for us and we will dive in. Father God, I thank you for every single one of these men. I thank you for gathering us together, bringing us into a place like this. Jesus, I, I know what we need more than anything else is to be able to have an encounter with you. We need to be able to hear from your word. We need you to be able to speak to us, to lead us. Uh, Jesus, I thank you for all the things that we've, we've come to an encounter with this semester, the things that we've learned. Um, we, we didn't get very far, Mark, but the things that we got were things that are life-changing, things that remind us of our identity in you, that we work from, that we uh, strive from, and that we uh, live in the identity that you have given us as sons. And when we have that figured out, when we know who you are, we know who we are, when we know who we are, we know what to do. We know who we are and we know we're yours. And so Jesus, I, I pray today, despite whatever has ever happened to any of these guys in the room, that they know that they have a father who loves them, a father who cares for them, and a father who knows that they do not have what it takes, but in him, they do. In your name, amen. If you got a Bible, go to 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 10, verse 12. I'll, I'll, I'll probably read a couple more, but I want to start in verse 12. Give you a little backstory of what's going on here. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and you guys have heard me say this before. Corinth was uh, the Las Vegas of the Roman provinces. Uh, it was anything goes in Corinth. It was what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Uh, everything and anything. And I'm not just talking about like Corinth as a city. And then they had this really nice little church on the outskirts of town, and they were doing all sorts of nice stuff inside the church at Corinth. It was just as crazy. Paul's talking to them about temple prostitutes and all sorts of messed up sexual stuff that was just all across the board. And this is who Paul is trying to care for, show Jesus, and help be able to walk the straight and narrow path that leads to Jesus. So he, he's saying these words to him. He's kind of coming to the end of this letter, uh, 1 Corinthians and 2. He just kind of roasts him over the coals on a lot of different things. And then 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, he says these words. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, all that last part's great, but I don't want you to miss the thing he said before he let into them about their temptation that they were going to face. Verse 12. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Paul understood something that's mission critical when it comes to fighting and resisting temptation. And it's being realistic with where you're at. It's being realistic with your flesh. It's understanding that you are incredibly susceptible 
to falling. You're incredibly susceptible to be able to, to see something, want something, and go get something. And he says, for those of you who think, ah, no big deal, I don't struggle with that, That's, that's all. that was a, a last year problem, or that was a five years ago problem, or that was a first marriage problem, this one's better, and I'm not going to struggle with that anymore. Paul is saying, if you're at the place where you are puffed up in pride of yourself, you're in danger of falling. Now, there's a difference between this, this confidence that goes, hey, I've got this on my own and I know I can do this and I don't struggle with that anymore. That's those kind of people's problem. That's not somebody like me's problem. He's saying that's a dangerous confidence. The confidence he's not necessarily talking about here is this confidence that goes, when my flesh is weak, Christ is strong in me. That's a different kind of confidence. And that's what he's trying to get them towards. But what he's saying here is in your mind, you are silly. You could use a stronger word there. If you're going, I'm so strong. I've got what it takes. I can resist. And you may be, and I think this is where there's two sides to his warning. You may be, and you may be resisting those things. And you may be on a streak of X number of days without doing whatever that thing is. Or you may have not struggled with that thing since high school. But you're just as in danger of worshiping your willpower if your source of strength and your The thing you hang your hat on is your own ability to resist the temptation as opposed to Jesus allowing your flesh to die and his spirit working in you to make sin not even something that you just go, ooh, I desired it and I resisted it, but you actually feel and sense and experience Jesus changing even what you desire. And that's my prayer for you, that that not just you would be able to resist temptation, over the course of a summer, over the course of, you know, the the next years of your life. Not that you would just resist temptation. Yes, I want that to happen. But more so than that, I want things to permanently, for some of you, become things that you are no longer even tempted by because they don't look as appealing as they used to. They begin to look repulsive. One of the recurring prayers I have for me and some of the stuff that I know my eyes and my heart can pull after is Jesus make this repulsive to me. I don't want to just play around here. I don't want to just sit in this. I don't want it to just be something that is just out there. I want it to seem sick. The same way that if I, um, we're getting ready to serve muffins uh, for Mother's Day a few weeks ago um, in one of those, like, there are these, like, warming boxes that we have as a church uh, over there and um, when we were getting ready to serve muffins I think it was at um, I think it was New Year's I think it was probably New Year's we had shoved some in like a bottom drawer of one of those little warming things and somebody was going ready to get those out for the next time we were going to serve something and they pulled those muffins back out now a few of them looked okay honestly it was just as the preservatives in our food but some of them they had this like they, it looked like they had blueberry frosting on top of them because of the the blue aqua marine mold that had grown on top if I sat that on every one of you guys table and I said I told you there was going to be free breakfast this morning eat up none of you would go <clears throat> yeah let's do this you know there, again, I'm in a room full of men, so somebody would have probably said, hey, I'll give you 15 bucks if you take a bite out of that. <laughs> like, that's the stuff we do. Um, but, but that's what I'm, like, that's my prayer, is that at some point, we're able to see 
that this is not something that is for my consumption. And whatever that thing is, that, that you begin to go, in the same way you can immediately realize, nope, that has mold in it. We can immediately realize Satan's temptation and go, no, that has a hook in it. So the reason I want to talk to you about this is, and I love this passage, we're going to come back to it at the end, is, is most of us, when it comes to our ability to resist temptation, we vastly overestimate our abilities to resist temptation. We think we can, uh, you know, say there's the, you know, you're trying to eat right. And um, somebody brings chocolate cake into work and you, you know, you see it in the break room. You're like, I don't even want any of that at all. And you just walk by and then you take your next coffee break or water break and you walk by. And you, I wonder what kind that coffee, oh, it's that. German chocolate. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. And you walk by again, and then you know you're, you're coming back again. And you go, I wonder if it's that kind with the good coconut on it. And then eventually you leave work and you got chocolate cake in your hair because you underestimate how strong that temptation is going to be. And one of the things that I've learned about self control, and, and maybe you don't realize this, self control is not an unlimited resource that we have in our bodies. Like the power to resist, you felt this on days when you've, um, anybody else work with people who sometimes can get on your nerves? Okay, all right. Sometimes, again, yes, and my staff is raising their hands. We all love each other enough to know that we all at times can get on each other's nerves. Uh, a true family, a true team that loves, or really is good, they can be honest with each other in those ways, all right? Those moments when you're like, I want to uh, punch you in the throat or I want to uh, ignore you. I want to ask you to politely leave this meeting or I want to ask you to whatever. All of those times when you don't say the thing, when you bite your tongue, when you don't do the thing that you want to do. All those times when you resist, do you realize that those are sometimes the days where you go home and you're like, why am I so tired? It's because it took energy and effort out of you to resist the temptation that you felt all day long. Resisting temptation is one of the most mentally taxing things that you can do. And this is why oftentimes we will bite our tongue all day long at work and then go home and blow up on a child or blow up on a wife or, or scream and yell and drop all the cuss words we can as we're in traffic on the way home because all of those cuss words that we're yelling at the cars that can't hear us around us are the ones that we wanted to say at work. It's because our ability to control ourselves has dropped to zero because we've had to do it so long. And so that's one of those things that we have to realize and understand as, as people who are trying to follow Jesus and trying to resist the temptation is you can only resist so much. So what's mission critical is environment management and, and setting up environments around us where we know we're not going to continually bump into that. And so what I want to talk to you guys today are about kind of three ways that I've seen and, and, and understood and um, learned from some different leaders about how to actually overcome temptation. The first one is this. Uh, it's very, uh, I don't know. Okay, there's a white line right there. All right. Well, let's just go half court. That's easier. Half court line is right here. <clears throat> when it comes to sin, half court line's right here. You can see it run all the way across the room. When it comes to sin, almost every man, and we learned this in high school, especially if anybody else go, grow up going to a youth group or student ministry. Yeah, go to church as a kid. When we start dating and we were in high school as guys, Hey, like, how far can I go with her? Like, what can I rub? Can I pat anything? Can I smell her hair? Can we hold hands? 
What can I do to not cross into the sin territory? Right? That was all our questions. That was college for a lot of you guys. It was how close can I get to the line of sin without crossing it? And so when it comes to temptation, if you're right here, like if this is the line that I'm on, where are my eyes looking? Like I'm looking at everything that's on that other side. And eventually I'm going to go that way. And so when I say move the line, what I'm talking about is if I know that every time I have unrestricted access to X, Y, Z, whether it's my phone, whether it's a computer, whether it's just a house that's empty and nobody's there, I'm going to go instead and go, hey, if the line is here and this is where sin is, I'm actually going to move the line backwards to, I don't know, free throw line. I'm moving the line backwards because I don't want to be there. And if I stumble here in the boundaries that I set up, I still haven't sinned. Now, I'm, I, it, because here's what you understand. And this is being investigative about what causes you to fall. If I'm here and this is the line and I cross it, whether it's every time that I drank way more than I wanted to drink, times that I um, looked at things that I know I shouldn't have, moments where I blew up on my kids, being able to see yourself on, cross that line and go, why did I cross it? What led to that crossing? Because here's me, hear me, sometimes what got you across the line, I'll just talk specifically about one I know that, you know, by and large, many men struggle with. What gets me across the line into um, following where lust leads is not the, the incredibly wicked, you know, the blatantly hardcore porn site that you find yourself on to cross that line. It's, I was just on Facebook, and I saw a thumbnail of a thong back here. A thong nail, yes. Great job. <laughs> you saw a thong nail, all right? So to, to, to what we're talking about here with Mike Crawford's great point, where are you seeing the things that are prompting those things? If I know that anytime I get in an argument or anytime I have a hard day, my knee-jerk reaction is, Man, today was a hard day at work. I can't. I, got, I need a cold one. As soon as I get home, I need to pour. I, today is a double shot. Uh, I, I, don't you measure? You measure drinks in fingers? Anybody? Like it's like a. It's like I don't know. Whatever. Today is a, a strong drink because of work today. And if you know that's your propensity, then I'm going to change my line and go. There's not going to be any in my house because if I know it's there, then I know I can run to it. And so. As far as temptation goes, it's going, no, I'm going to actually move the line back. And I'm not saying become uber religious, because remember, whose line is this? This is your line. So don't go around going, oh, well, well, you have a Facebook, you, you rotten, wretched sinner. How dare you have a Facebook? You, you don't have a flip phone? How dare you? You have alcohol in your house? Oh, my goodness, hell's doors are waiting on you. No, this is your line. And don't, don't put the things that Jesus says, there's freedom in this. There's freedom with wisdom in these things. But you've got to know you and where your line needs to be because you stumble, you fall, and your flesh gets attacked the unique ways that it does for you. Next one. Uh, if you've got a Bible, go to Genesis uh, 39. Genesis 39. 
Uh, jump down to verse 6 and 7. It's a great story. Um, this is a story about um, God Joseph. You guys know the story. Joseph, uh, he was his dad's favorite kid. His uh, brothers, they hate that. And they drop him in a well. And they said, you know what, we shouldn't kill him. Let's at least sell him. Let's get some return on this investment. And they sell him. He becomes a slave. He becomes a slave to Egypt. He gets bought by a guy named who? Potiphar. And Potiphar, like I mentioned this a few Sundays ago, Potiphar has this cougar of a wife. And that's the story we're going to pick up on in verse uh, 6 and 7. Right in here, verse uh, of, of chapter 39. Now Joseph, the back half of verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has he entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against who? Every sin is ultimately, this ain't against Potiphar, this ain't against his wife, this is against God. Verse 10, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, that's how temptation works, by the way, day after day. He didn't just say, he didn't, did you see his really good speech? Did you see him speaking to the darkness? <laughs> I'm in charge of everything. It would be a sin against my God. He lays out a great explanation of all these other things. And I think this is how we think sin and temptation is going to go. We're going we're to get all these reasons. We're going to make our mind right about it. And then the magically, the, the Potiphar wives of our life, whatever sin or temptation that is for you, whether it's, you know what it is, it's just going to magically go, great point. You know what? You're right. And I've, I need to, you know, get on some hormone therapy because they're all out of control and I shouldn't be trying to get you. you you're doing your thing, man. And I, and I appreciate that. You're keeping our house in order. I'm just going to go back to bed and uh, go watch my show or my story. And you keep doing your thing. You're right. I'm not going to mess with you anymore. That's how we wish temptation would operate in our lives. But it does not, it doesn't do that. It, it continues to, to come after us. And that's what we see in the story. Pick up in verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. What do you see right there? He moved the line. He said, I'm not, we're not going to be out here washing windows together. And you look over at me with that look. <laughs> like, we're, we're not going to be doing these things. He says, I'm not even going to be with you. Like, you're going to be on that end of the house. I'm going to be out in the garage. Like, we're, we're not even going to be in the same place. He, again, a smart man. He knew I'm going to move my line. Now, in verse 11, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties. And none of the household servants was inside. Uh, I read that story and I see that as her planning, what she did. Uh, she's, you know, we, we talked about uh, setting up your environment so it's one that you can fight temptation in. Sometimes the enemy will set up an environment just to get you to fall. Verse 12, and she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me, exclamation point. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. 
Now, when I see this story, this is, again, this is the point, I think, on resisting temptation. One, we got to move the line. And two, we have to plan the escape. Like the escape has to be something that we actually plan and we have in our mind. What happens with so many of us is when it comes to the temptation that we face, we don't think about what we're going to do until we're in it. Nobody makes up their mind of, hey, if I start to, if I'm scrolling and I feel this way, here's what I'm going to do. I'm calling this guy. If I start to feel this way, I'm going to do 45 push-ups. If I start to feel this way, I'm going to text my wife. Hey, sweetheart, I love you. You are so incredibly beautiful. Like, we have not pre-decided and made a plan of how to escape. And I think what I see from this story is, again, Joseph, he said the things about God to her that he needed to say. He's purposely and intentionally said, I'm getting, I'm, we're not going to be in the same rooms together. I'm moving my line back. And what I see here is a guy who said, I am making a plan of my escape so that if she comes on to me in a way that is, is physical and I have to resist, I'm willing to leave my outer garments behind in order to run out from what she's trying to get me into. Because Joseph knows this, He's, he says, I would rather keep a good name than keep my good things that make me look good. I would rather keep up my character then make sure my outer appearance by my robe that dad bought me, that I don't know if he's still rocking at this point in time. You can go back or forth on this. He's got his clothes on in this moment. She rips his clothes off. And that's actually what she uses as evidence to go to say to the rest of the servants of the house and the people to you know, kind of go get Joseph arrested, put him back in prison is look, he came after me. He was trying to do this to me. And... He left his stuff behind when I started screaming. He all took off. But what we see from this story is a man of God has a plan to escape. And that's why, again, I love the passage we started with, 1 Corinthians 10.13. He says, no temptation has seized you except that what is common to man. This is what we should take to heart in here is... What you're struggling with, you, I know it may feel like it's super unique to you, but guys, it's not. It, it really isn't. You're, you're not as special as you think you are in regards to what temptation is coming after you. And that's why you can raise your hand. You can talk to somebody at your table. You can confess. Again, me, Morel, Craig, um, there's some other men of God at this. Hopefully through the course of this, you've built some deep relationships where if you are struggling with something or you are feeling temptation, you can go, hey, man, I, I need some help. I, I need somebody in my corner because it's common to us. We're going to know what it's like to be where you're at. He says, no temptation has seized you, that which is not common to man. And I love he takes it off of the man side and puts it back on the God side. He says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I, I don't know about you guys, but that verse right there is one sometimes it's hard to get my mind around. Because personally, I have felt things in my own life that it, I, would, I would sometimes, maybe in those weak moments, label, this is unbearable. Like, it's, this is incredibly hard to resist. And this, again, is where Satan is a great accuser and a great liar. 
who comes into us and says, you can't resist this. This is too strong. But again, we choose what voice we're going to listen to. Remember, all the way back to where we started this. When Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he was tempting Jesus to make Satan father and to ignore and turn his back on his true heavenly father. All the temptations are not around necessarily just the lust of the eyes or lust of the flesh or the pride of life. Those things are definitely in there. But every one of those temptations was to see for, was, was for Jesus to let Satan be the one who provides, let Satan be the one who gives, let Satan be the one who um, hands over these things that truly the Father was going to hand over because every one of those temptations was an attack on his identity. And everyone that you face is going to be the same thing. And that's why I love the voice of the Heavenly Father who says, listen, there is no temptation that you will face that you cannot resist. And again, not in your own power, but it's in Christ. That's why the next verse, he says, but when you are tempted, he will also provide an escape so that you can stand up under it. The escape, I believe, without a doubt, is Jesus. And you can hear that and go, well, Jesus is my escape through temptation. Well, what, the, what in the world does that mean when I'm being tempted? What does that mean when I, I, I want to go take the, the drink that I know is going to take me over the line into drunkenness? What do I, how, how is Jesus my escape when I, I, I know that because I know, nobody really watches live TV anymore except for football games? And so you're, on, you're watching a show that's streamed on Netflix or a movie that's streamed on Netflix or whatever it is. And if you, oh, I didn't know that this scene was coming. I had no idea, which again, whatever. Um, and something comes up. Most of the time you have a remote in your hand and there's a button on every one of those apps that is a plus 10, plus 10, plus 10, plus 10. And you don't have to sit there and go, oh, you know, what's happening? What's going on in this scene? How does this fit in the plot? Like you're not thinking those thoughts. So plan and escape. Have a plan. Uh, one of my youth pastors, <laughs> way back in the day, he said this, I never, I've never forgot it. He said, it's a terrible idea to make your decisions about your purity with your pants halfway down in the backseat of a Honda Accord. That's a terrible, that's a terrible thing to, that's a terrible time to decide when you're, how you're going to be pure. That is something that has to be decided when you're thinking with this head. Okay? When, 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 when you're in a room like this, where you can actually strategize. Last thing, I think this is one of the most absolutely important. This has been one of the, the things that has been part of my escape route many, many times, and I hope it's for you as well. As far as resisting temptation goes, we've got to move the line, got to play in the escape. But lastly, you have to magnify the cost. Magnify the cost. And so this is asking in the midst of that temptation where you're feeling this, asking this question, <clears throat> if I do this, what is the worst possible case scenario? What's the worst case scenario? 
What happens if my wife finds out? What happens if she gets pregnant? What happens if I take this drink and it turns into another drink and then I lose my ability to be able to think, I get in a car, I run across the line and I kill a family? Magnify the cost. And that's what, that's what temptation and the lies and the deception that happens in those moments this is what we never do because we always try to make it feel like, oh, this is easy and this is no big deal and this is just this thing. Magnify the cost. See, magnify the cost doesn't mean make the cost increase. Magnify is means I'm going to look at this to hopefully see it for what it really is. When you're magnifying something, you're not making it bigger than it actually is. You're just helping to see how big and potentially detrimental it actually is in and of itself. Magnify the cost. What, what will, if this, if the worst case scenario potentially happens, if I do this, what will come true? The IRS be knocking on my door going, hey dude, you stole, stole, you, you clicked that different number or you lied about this or you didn't do this thing. It's the worst possible case scenario. I think this is one of the things that for me, like in, in what I do, like, It's knowing that if I stumble, fall, or do whatever that thing is, what happens to my family? That, there, that, I, that I have a part of my story with my sons that I'm ashamed of. That when, when we go back and tell the story, there's a part in here that, hmm, this is the, this is the part when David goes back and tells Solomon his story. He has to say, well, one day, son, I was, I was up on a ledge and I, I looked out over that ledge and I saw something that wasn't mine and I took it. It was the worst mistake of my life. Now, again, Jesus covers those things. That same guy who did that wrote, though my sins were scarlet, he has washed me white as snow. And every one of our sins and every one of our mistakes turns into an opportunity to magnify the grace of Jesus. But it'd be better Amen, to, to not have to go those places. And the truth is, we can sit around and go, <clears throat> hey, uh, nobody's ever going to find out. It's no big deal. But Numbers 32, 23, very terrifying verse, says your sin will find you out. And then Luke 8, 17, Jesus is talking and he says, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. He's saying, eventually, guys, it's all going to come out. And it really is just a matter of time. And so this is where we magnify the cost. Uh, one of the things that <clears throat> I, I've had to, uh, it's not, I don't know, it, it's a weird exercise but sometimes I'll find myself and, and God, he'll bring it to light for me. And usually it's in moments of parenting. Sometimes it's in you know, other moments. But I ask this question. If this was live streamed to the congregation, would I be ashamed of this? Like if somehow you saw a notification, McDonough Christian Church is live. And in that moment, it was me doing whatever I was doing. Whether it was me yelling at my kids, blowing up on them, me being a a jack leg to my wife and just being snarky and argumentative just for the sake of trying to win an argument. If this was live streamed, 
Would I be cool with it? Or, or would half the congregation leave? Now again, thank goodness that that is not something that's necessarily coming. But my, my point in telling you this is we have to magnify the cost to actually know that this, this could potentially cost me everything. My family, my kids' respect, my job. And I'm going to be you know, very honest and, and frank with you on this. The things that it will cost you, let's just talk specifically about sexual sin for a second. The things that that will cost you is not worth. I mean, like just, let's just play with the numbers. The pain of divorce court, the pain of uh, the shame and having to tell kids this story, the pain of having to tell your boss and your employees why you're going through a divorce, the pain of all of those things is not worth the minute and 30 seconds that leads to an orgasm. And so when I talk about magnifying the cost, it's asking this, you know, and again, I'm, I'm glad I'm talking to a room full of men. Is an orgasm worth losing all of this? And guys, the answer is always no. It's, it, 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 is, it is not worth that. And, and, and again, that's why there's this there's pull and everything else. And, and we never get to those moments where we pause and actually go there. And because we never go there, we're like, oh, this is, this is everything right now. And when I talk about magnify the cost, I'm not just asking, or I'm not just talking about what it will cost you. I want to show you when I talk about magnify the cost of what it already cost him. If you've got a Bible, go to Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. End with this. And this really is the key in this. I'll let you go on this. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. This is where the eyes get off of us and the line we move. This is where our eyes get off of the plans we make to escape. This is where our eyes get off of what it will cost us. This is really where we have to start and we work the plan backwards. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. I have to magnify not just what it will cost me, but what it did cost Jesus. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Death is what it cost him. That is the devil. And deliver those all through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That is us. And the reason Jesus came to help you is because you need help. You cannot, you will not be able to do this in and of yourself. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God to make propitiation, that's payment for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's, that's our amen, that's our hope, that's our purpose. If you see what Jesus went through, the one who felt this is what's wild to think about. Jesus felt all the temptation that you felt, so he knows how to deal with it. 
But Jesus also took the punishment. This is wild. Think about it. Jesus also took the punishment all upon himself as if he had failed and caved into every temptation that every man, woman, child has ever faced. All of the punishment was then on him. And he, again, was someone who never failed to resist temptation in his own life. But he takes on his, in his death, takes on all the times that you have fallen from it. And so what, what did it cost? It cost the father, the son. And so when you feel that temptation, it's going, no, 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 no. My father has paid for this by the blood of his son. The next time you're faced with have another drink, the father has paid for this with the blood of his son. Next time you're tempted to put that browser in private mode, the father has paid for this by the blood of his son. Next time you're tempted to blow off on on wife, kids, whatever, the father has paid for this by the blood of his son. That's how we magnify the cost. That's how we plan our escape. And that's where we move our line to be able to fight the temptation that's coming our way. My prayer is that as you go out, that you don't fight by yourself, that you fight with each other or fight for each other, not with each other. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this time. Um, I thank you for this charge that you gave me years ago that I could give to my brothers here today. And I pray that it's not just uh, words on a page or... um, something on a podcast that it can even be something that we're able to go back to and continue to lean in together. We need your help, Jesus. We cannot fight him alone. We can only fight him with you. In your name, amen.